welcome to another episode of the Bible Feed podcast, where we host conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world. And I'm Dan Weatherall, and tonight we're, we're definitely going to be thinking about faith in the modern world. We're, we're going to be thinking about, well, asking the question, is it even relevant in the modern world? Is is Christian faith, is Christianity relevant? So that's the, that's the big idea we're going to be thinking through. But I want to welcome John Davis back to the podcast. You've had, had a conversation with us before, haven't you? You've been quite a while, but nice to have you back. Thanks, Daniel. Hello, everyone. I would say I've not been very regular on on the podcast. Um, not, not at all. No. Was not. that because of my last appearance? No, no, no. We we keep trying to get you. It's more about your sort of busy schedule and lots of other things to do. But we'll see how you you perform this time, John. So uh, thanks for joining us. We've got no easy task to think through. Is Christianity mm. relevant in this modern world? And we've got a few things to define, I suppose, haven't we? There. The, yep. the world I'm thinking about is the Western world. The world that we we live in, so the UK and then a lot of the Western world, is largely post-Christian, I think a lot of people will call it. Post-Christian being that church attendance has, has declined massively over the last 50, 100 years or so. It doesn't feel like we're in, we're in a religious society anymore or a, or a Christian society. It feels like we're in a, a secular moment of history. So... It, is that fair? I think it's very fair. And if you, someone like you go for one of the big pollsters and any of the questions around, do you believe in a God? Do you think that God answers prayer? Are you a regular churchgoer? I think the answer to most of those in most Western com- countries is that traditional Christianity is massively on the decline. And if anything, you could say that over the last 20, 30 years, the new atheist movement, to some extent, won an argument in the sense that the decline in Christianity seemed to accelerate through that period in terms of church attendance or belief in God. Now, it may well be, and there's some interesting conversations about whether that's starting to tick back again in the last couple of years, but I guess the broad point is in most obvious senses, the Western world is less Christian than it was 20, 30 years ago. And I think 30 years ago, it was probably less than it was 30 years prior to that and so on. So we're starting at that point then where we yep. think society is post-Christian, certainly in its appearance, certainly in its profession. So how, how are we going to answer this question? Is that the answer? <laughs> is Christianity relevant in the modern world? No, because it's post-Christian. <laughs> is, is that a simple answer or actually is there another way we can approach this to try and interrogate it? At, that that would be a surprising answer for a Bible feed <laughs> podcast. Dan, it, and it, it would. would be surprising. I guess I think this is a good question. Is Christianity is still relevant today. Now, to be clear, I don't think that that question is saying, is Christianity true? That's a separate class of question. I think this is around, is Christianity relevant for society? And specifically, does the Christian faith have an impact on people today who maybe aren't Christian? And put simply, the answer is that Christianity is a lot more relevant than perhaps most would believe. I think there's really something around the kind of air we breathe is actually infused with a lot of Christian thought and principles and ideas, even if we might say we're atheistic or agnostic about whether there's a Christian God and so on. And I think that's pretty interesting because the question I think you then have to wrestle with is like, well, why, why is that? And if I cut myself off from that Christian branch, what am I left with? That's the claim we're going to chat through. And I guess the way we could maybe do it is to talk a little bit about some more superficial examples and then maybe go deeper. Yeah, yeah. So the claim is that despite us being in a society, in a culture that has effectively turned its back on mass, on Christianity in its outward form and professing worship, despite that, the society and the culture and the values that are within it are still Christian or they have their roots and origin in Christianity. Kind yeah, of I would say it's probably more the roots that we're talking about here. But yes, I think that's fair. Yeah. So 
So if that's the case, if their roots are Christian roots, then perhaps that's another case for saying, actually, this thing we call Christianity has some relevance. Now, and like you say, this, this won't be, therefore it's true. That's, that's another discussion. But yeah, it's exactly perhaps that. a reason for just stopping, pausing and considering. So you said, let's work through some examples and uh, you said superficial examples. So what do you mean by that? Well, I'm sat in my lounge in Hertfordshire and my daughter has a first calendar on the wall. Okay. Okay. Now that calendar is based on a broadly Christian calendar. I think it's known as the Gregorian calendar as an example, or maybe another thing related to kind of holidays in the UK. They're often linked to kind of Christian festivals. So we talk about Easter or Christmas, don't we? Sure. Yeah. So society has those as kind of underpinning things that it uses that are in some sense, well, they were originally Christian. And that is quite a good principle what we're going on to talk about. Those are pretty superficial though. But it, it's an interesting feature, isn't it? That the whole shape of our year is sort of yes. built around a, a Christian heritage. A similar example might be things like place names. So just down the road from me is a couple of villages. I don't know how, how good your Latin is. Terrible. Terrible, yeah. Well, there's Sheepy Parva and Sheepy Magna just down the road from me. Brilliant. So I think it's Little Sheepy and Great Sheepy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose in that sense, no one walks around in togas in those villages, but they've got a Roman name but that means absolutely yep. nothing. And then the church I go to, Christadelphian church in Ashby de la Zouche, which is a delightful... Really French. Yeah, a Norman family yep. once, once owned it, I think. But yeah, I don't think the people there are particularly French anymore. No. But so, so yeah, the thing, things like that persist, don't they? Definitely. So I think that's probably the view that people would have and say, yes, okay, well, there is a holiday we call Christmas. There is a yep. calendar that we have. There are all these features of history, but we're, we're nothing to do with that anymore. You know, we see yep. the skeletal remains of it, but, but they're just padding framework and we've progressed. So is there anything else yes. that, that goes beyond those sorts of things? Yeah, so I think we do have to dig a bit deeper. So the particularly interesting book I read by a guy called Joseph Heinrich. So the book is called The Weirdest People in the World. And by weirdest, it's specifically around people from the West. So it's, it's weird is Western, educated, industrialized, rich and democratic. And one of the things that he talks about, which I think is quite powerful, he talks about, say, how powerful something like Christian monogamy, that you have one partner for life. He talks about how profound an impact that had on society at large that helped enable the Western world to grow economically much quicker than other societies, for example. So again, this is not saying that proves that Christianity is true, but it is saying that Christianity has had a profound impact on our society. So for example, scientists have found that there's quite a big decline in testosterone, for example, for men if they're married. Okay. Okay. So this was a study they did. They measured the testosterone levels of men from when they were 21 through to when they were 26. And they looked at how much there was a drop in testosterone. So for those people who were still unmarried, there was only a 20% decline in those four years. So it was lower, but it was 20% lower. If they were married with no children, there was a 30% decline. And if they were married with children, there was a 50 3% decline. So what you're seeing there is a massive decline in testosterone levels for people who've got married and started having children, which is a real vestige of Christianity. That was something that Christianity really encouraged. So I've got a quote because yeah. it wasn't easy for the church to kind of bring this out. It says here, this is page 281, all this suggests that the church through its centuries-long struggle to disseminate and enforce its pe peculiar version of monogamous marriage 
unintentionally created an environment that gradually domesticated men, making many of us less competitive, impulsive and risk-prone, while at the same time favouring positive sun perceptions of the world and greater willingness to team up with strangers. This should result in more harmonious organisations, less crime and fewer social disruptions. So the point he's making is that actually this, because the church forced this on society and Mm. everyone was kind of expected to live by these ideals, it reduced the levels of aggression in society it meant that there was less crime, less alcohol abuse. And as a result, these societies tended to do better economically. And that's one of the suggestions as to why, say, the Industrial Revolution really kicked off in the West because of this stability that marriage provided families. So to be clear, again, that doesn't prove that Christianity is true. It yeah, just sure. says that Christianity has had a profound impact on the way our society exists today. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it There's does. There's a few others I can give. So one might be the use of books or the codec. Okay, that was a yeah. real thing that Christians used to communicate the text of the Bible, universities universities, schools came out of that kind of world. They were set up in in Christian communities and then branched out to other fields of learning outside of Christianity. Or something like care. So care of the sick and the poor, social justice, charity, hospitals. Actually, we do see some of that in other world religions, but actually there's a it's a real sort of hallmark of Christianity, those lifting up mm. the poorest in society. And and it actually if you go back to kind of ancient Rome and ancient Greece, the way they treated the poor and the sick and the weak and children was quite dramatically different yeah if i'm right the the roman hospitals effectively for military people how quickly can we get these people back into service whereas i think it's basil the great is is often touted as the the first real hospital to care for the the sick and and the poor Mm -hmm. so a christian in fourth century and in modern day turkey so that's an interesting feature isn't it so we've got these almost skeletal remains like calendar and things like that which, yep. which are almost inconsequential, but they're an interesting yep. feature. But now we've got a- actually things now like a way of viewing marriage and a way of viewing learning and education and a, a choice to actually care for the sick and the poor. Mm-hmm. And all those things have encouraged the Western society to have economic growth and progression yep. and education and stuff like that. And and so you, the claim is that's come about in a Christian world. It's because of the church. Yeah. And, and to be clear, just in case people rightly challenge the kind of bias here, that book that I was just citing, The Weirdest People in the World, is written by an agnostic. Like yeah. he's an evolutionary psychologist, I think. And he's kind of reflecting back on why is the West so much yeah. more prosperous than other nations. Some of it's around the climate of Western countries. So there is other factors at play, but Christianity was a big one. The marriage example is a really profound yeah, one, yeah. but there's the other ones we talked to as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's interesting, isn't it? So university and education, most people in our in our country value yeah. that and we think that's so important to the point we've got a massive school system, universities all yeah. around the country. So we we really hold that dear and the NHS in the UK yeah is treasured by us all as something, you know, a major principle. So so we have that. Marriage is interesting because that's that's been a lot more controversial in, in recent years. For sure, you're absolutely right. In the West, maybe marriage rates have declined over the last 30, 40, 50 years. There is a good example that Heinrich uses in his book where he talks about China because they have this kind of one-child policy yeah. for many years, which because... Sometimes if girls were coming, they'd be aborted and yeah, so on. Yeah, yeah. It meant that you had a huge surplus of men in Chinese society. So it, uh, he's yeah. got here, between 1988 and 2004, the number of surplus men almost doubled. And by 2009, there were 30 million extra males. And he goes on to say, as the surplus boys became men, arrest rates nearly doubled and crime rates soared, rising nationally at 13.6% per year. And the point he's making here is, 
when you have more men in society that don't have an equal match in women, it tends to lead to negative outcomes even today. Yeah, yeah, and the and the uh, the principles are still they're still under the under even the though surf, the, the, still the framework yeah. of marriage, like the outward legal thing, is not necessarily adopted. The general idea of yeah, you settle down with someone, it's probably still exactly. there, which is interesting. So those things are really, really interesting. They're a little bit deeper, aren't they, than those superficial examples. I suppose the next question then is to sort of think, is there an explanation why these things came about from Christianity, from Christians? Mm -hmm. Is there something driving them? Can we trace the roots back further? So I think probably a good frame of reference, this is a very UK specific remark, but there's an interesting stuff on the BBC at the moment about Julius Caesar, who lived about 50 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, is quite powerful as to how the Roman political system worked and how little value really there was on human life okay. in many senses. It is quite profound, like how despotic the rulers were, how much power existed and how much power was associated with people and often how much indiscriminate killing was required to keep the power that you wanted in society. And the point I guess I'm making is that human life wasn't particularly sacred. The society into which Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth was born, wasn't a society that had very, very high views of human life in the Roman world more broadly. And I think the thing you can tie, say, some of the marriage principles, the care point particularly, is back to the teaching of Jesus and how Jesus, say, treated the poor in society. That was a dramatic, dramatic change from the Roman and Greek society that had come immediately before him. And so I think what you can say is that those things we've talked about that, that we see sort of vestiges of today or we're benefited by the work of Christianity over time, I think much of that is quite easily tieable back to the teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, that you can see that those things that were taught then, you can find these ob really obvious draws back to that's why the church taught those things. Now, the church has done plenty wrong, including perversely ended up punishing people and not valuing human life. Mm. So it's not by yeah, church. Yeah. I'm not sort of an apologist for the church more broadly. No. The point I guess I make is you can quite easily draw those tentacles back to the teaching of Jesus to love your neighbour, to love your enemy, in fact, and to value the life of the poor as much as the value of the rich. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, and he says it's hard for the rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. That was a kind of upside-down, topsy-turvy view of the world that was quite radically different from the society in which he was born and raised, at least in Roman society more broadly. Okay, so the sanctity of life, then, you're saying was a profoundly Judeo-Christian world view of the of Christian yeah, view, yeah. which which wasn't really there in the Roman world before. Uh, it's just really interesting because you and me sitting here now in the UK, whatever year we're in, 2024, and we, we take that for granted, don't we, the sanctity of life. It's shocking when people do something to take life and they shouldn't do. You know, it, it makes headlines. Just today, actually, just today in the news, there's a really amazing account of someone who found a, a newborn baby in a mm. bag. I don't know if you saw that mm. today. Yeah, I did, yeah. London, yeah. Which... Horrifying. Uh, it's, it's horrifying and it's, it's 
you know, it's really terrible to think the state the mother must be in to do that. But yeah. the fact that the, the passerby saw it and did something about it, took it to hospital, saved its life, and that's made headline news that this terrible thing has happened and yet someone has been the hero to save life. Oh, that's brilliant. And yet in the Roman world, I, I think you're saying that that wouldn't have happened. Is it right that the Roman um, society, they would routinely just get rid of babies that they were deformed or not developed or maybe they were a girl and not a boy and, and just leave them? Whereas the Christians would sort of go around collecting them and try and save them, you know, I think exactly I think that. that's that's been documented, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think this is we're starting to get to the sort of deeper points here, and I think sanctity of life is one of the most profound ones here because you're absolutely right what you just said there about Roman society, but even the Greek philosopher Aristotle, there's a phrase where he writes down that there be a law that no deformed child live. Okay, and that is so radically different to the Judeo-Christian worldview that there's kind of yeah, humans yeah, are made yeah. in the image of God. And and you see that in the life of Jesus, even his own followers, sometimes he's sort of looking like talking to the children or working with the children. And they're like, oh, don't bother about that. And he's like, no, no, no there, there's, there's actually something profound about children. We can learn from them. And, and he uses them as a teaching mechanism. But it's clear that, that this kind of teaching about humans being made in the image of God had a profound impact in the way they thought about the world. And what value they placed on human life. So I'm picking up Sapiens here, which again is written not by a Christian Yuval Noah Harari. I know it's been under some criticism for some of the bits in it, but the point I think he makes here is probably one that most could agree with. And so he says, even though liberal humanism sanctifies humans, it does not deny the existence of God and is, in fact, founded on monotheist beliefs. Without recourse to a creator God, it becomes embarrassingly difficult for liberals to explain what is so special about individual sapiens. So the point he's making is, even today with people who maybe are atheists or have a liberal worldview, they believe in humanism, it's quite hard to explain why why human beings are kind of important without recoursing mm. back to saying what God said they were. He goes on to say, the idea that all humans are equal is a revamped version of the monotheist conviction that all souls are equal before God. Mm. So this is something that like has infused the way we think in the West. And I think this is quite interesting. I mean, another book that we, I think, have both read recently is a book by Tom Holland, yeah. who is, again, an agnostic. The book's called Dominion, the Making of the Western Mind. He makes this point over and over and over again. He says, humanism derives ultimately from claims made in the Bible yeah. that humans are made in God's image, that his son died equally for everyone. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And and that sort of sanctity of human life is is something I think that is unashamedly Christian. Mm. That is a massive vestige that many, many people today would believe to be absolutely crucial. And the example that you've quoted from the news today is a good example. Yeah. Of we believe human life is important. And the reason many of us think that in a way that other societies don't is because of Judeo-Christian views on yeah. human beings being in the image of God. So we can trace that just the same way that sheepy parva and sheepy magna, you can trace right back to a Latin name. Big sheep, little sheep. Exactly. Yeah. And the calendar and everything else like that. Yeah. But of, but of course, this is deeper, isn't it? Because this is a really important value, so much so well, it's massive. I mean, did you quote from Galatians there? That well, yes, yeah, I, I, I did, but but via Tom. So Tom Holland is oh, quoting he, from he Galatians it, there. Yeah, so that's, that's his right, quote yeah. of the yeah. Apostle Paul. Yeah, which so that's an interesting one as well because it brings up slavery, doesn't it? You know, this whole yep. idea that in Christ there's no there's no slave or free. You're all one in Christ. This this kind of equality for all. And again, we'll go back to Aristotle to, as a sort of example of the the Greek worldview said that certain tribes were or certain races of people were suited for slavery as in mm. they were the ones that we should be putting to slavery and the western 
worldview. If someone hears that today, they're absolutely outraged, wouldn't they? You, how on earth can you say that? And actually, when you put that alongside the Bible and the Christian view and how that has them permeated through the Western world, its roots come come right back to to the to the Bible and to things like the verses of Paul there. And even even when Christians have perpetrated and slavery and kept it going, and there are terrible and infamous examples of that um mm. it, it's by christian values that they are condemned isn't it by their views on the equality of life they effectively shoot themselves in the foot and condemn themselves so the the fact that we're outraged by christian slaves in, in the sugar plantations and so on is because we have those christian values in us We've started going into the, the realm of ethics and morals and, and things like that, haven't we? Like the whole idea of, of right and wrong morality and things like that. Do we have a Christian view of right and wrong? This is a really interesting one because it's clear from modern society that the moral code that many would have in the West isn't a Christian moral code per se. Different people would have a slightly different view to maybe Christianity on, say, something like sex before marriage. Most people today in a modern Western secular society would be pretty cool with sex before marriage. So I don't want people to misunderstand this at all. I am not for one second saying that today's moral code is Christian because there's many bits where those sure. diverge. But the question I think is an interesting one to pose is why we think of the world in those kind of terms of right versus wrong, or if you like, good versus evil, but right versus wrong. Yeah, And I think that is probably another example of something that is a a vestige of Christianity. So perhaps again, I'll bring as my witness on this one, that Tom Holland book again. And I think he makes this point incredibly powerfully at the end of the book. Now, for those of you like me who like quick books, this is not a quick book. It's about <laughs> 550 pages and it's He's an amazing writer, but some of it, I'm not a complete history nerd, but it did me in. But the bit at the end, I think, is really powerful. So I'll read a bit. He's talking about Europe, and he's talking about the fact that Europe lost lots of churches. It's no longer really a, a place where you find many religious people. So he says here, in Europe, a continent with churches far emptier than those in the United States, the trace elements of Christianity continue to infuse people's morals and presumptions so utterly that many failed even to detect their presence. And then this is a bit poetic, but it's quite good. Like dust particles so fine as to be invisible to the naked eye, they were breathed in equally by everyone, believers, atheists, and those who had never paused so much as to think about religion. And he uses this example as one of the many that's saying that actually some of these underpinning views that there is a right and wrong, and particularly in some things that are right and wrong, so say, for example, that it's, it's wrong to oppress the weak, as an example, or the oppressed and the marginalised, is actually a real vestige of something that's a Christian value. Now, today it might be turned on its head and viewed from a completely different angle. I mean, the quote he goes on to say, had it been otherwise, then no one would ever have got woke, which is this kind of term. Yeah. It's actually quite a good concept of caring for the oppressed. But the point he's making is that even today, when people talk about they don't want people to be oppressed in society who are poor or yeah. have got been marginalised, that fundamental instinct is something that's kind of been breathed in that he talks about this it's a 
presumption that many have failed to detect the presence, like dust particles so fine to the invisible light, it's kind of there because we believe it. But the question has to be, well, why do you think mm. that thing? Where's that come from? And the point he's making is that ultimately a lot of that has come from Christianity and we still hold on to those beliefs, even if we get rid of the religious elements. Yeah. So there's an instinctive view that, that sort of minorities or people in a, a poor end of society or people who are mm. oppressed should be released from that. They should be championed. And that yep. has turned itself into this whole woke culture. And the irony is that he points out, and as you're saying, as I understand it, is that all of that is generated from a Christian view of, of caring for the vulnerable and trying to champion the oppressed. Now, what do they come out of it? What, what is Christian about that? It, is it Jesus, the Son of God, but he's the one that is willing to, to die on a cross, the death of a slave, and therefore, yeah. if he's willing to do that, or we all ought to follow him in sort of giving our life to serve other people, then you can see that sort of generates this revolutionary view, doesn't it? Is that, is that I think that's very fair. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going on. And that's certainly the argument that Holland puts in his book, that there's something around in a culture that was that privileged, this is Roman Greco culture, that privileged the wealthy, the powerful, and actively had these power dynamics emphasized, the action of Jesus to serve, to wash the feet. And, and actually, you do see some evidences even in some of the biblical texts, but some of the early critique of Christianity is how can you worship this, this person that was on a cross? Like, are you mad? Yeah. And that kind of does sort of turn the whole world upside down. And you see that like with Jesus teaching blessed are the poor blessed are the meek and you're like yeah. hold on that's completely the opposite yeah and tom holland does go on to say he says free thinkers who mock the very idea of a god as a dead thing a sky fairy and imaginary friend still hold to taboos and morals that derive from christianity and the point he's making it's just it's there in our psyche because we have many of those values in our core actually if you look hard enough, they come from Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And so he has this interesting phrase at one point. He says, Christi Christianity, it seemed, had no need of actual Christians for its assumptions still to flourish. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Like, it's, yeah. they're still here. And the question then, I guess, for all of us is to go, well, are they the right assumptions? Where do those assumptions come from? Can I get those assumptions from someone yeah. else if I still think they're right? But they, they, it's a good question, I think, to ask all, like, ourselves, like, why do I think the things the way I do? Mm. I think that's what these kind of historians kind of yeah. gently nudge us in the direction of. Yeah, it's really interesting take on a lot of history 2000 years or so isn't it one parallel which i think is really helpful in is thinking of of jesus who is sort of venerated the king the messiah the lord and he died on the cross okay but there was someone else who effectively ascended as the son of god in the roman world before which was augustus caesar wasn't it he was sort of the cult of the Caesar, the emperor worship, and yet his his route to the throne was the very opposite of going to the cross, wasn't it? It was through force and military might and power, and the whole peace of Rome was brought about through the sword. So that that's that puts it in stark contrast, doesn't it? I think so. In in that Roman world, Jesus comes and people begin to say that's the value that i want and i suppose if we're right if what we're saying and observing and these other historians and people who are observing if, if they're all right that our assumptions and our values in the western world actually have their roots in jesus and the christian movement at that time it begs the question doesn't it if if we've turned our back on jesus and christianity and we think i, I don't actually think that's true anymore i suppose it, it, what, what on what basis are we still holding on to those values and rather than reverting to a Roman Empire value society yeah, where yeah. We, we, we suddenly start taking power and, and acting as we like. That's the big question, isn't it? I think. I, I think this does get you to ask that question. I think there's a very good argument that I think most 
historians would kind of agree with that a lot of that is a Judeo-Christian worldview. And I think you look at the example of Jesus, and I think sometimes we lose the, the power of what Jesus came and did because we don't have the history of like the world he was born into, sure. and it feels quite normal. But the reason it feels normal, or some of it feels normal, is because some of that's still infusing us today, and yeah, it's kind of... Yeah the language that Tom Holland used about kind of infusing us like dust particles. And that, that I think is helpful. Now, that doesn't prove Christianity is true, but it does say it's had a profound, profound impact on A, our society and how economically successful in some ways we are, but also the way we think. And just digging into that is then a question of, is there good reasons to believe in Christianity and other things? Yeah. The quote I might just turn to on this, which was an article from a decade ago by Douglas Murray in The Spectator. He is specifically talking here around the sanctity of life, but I'll read it because I think it's quite powerful because of what he gets you to think about. He says, the more atheists think on these things, the more we may have to accept that the concept of the sanctity of human life is a Judeo-Christian notion, which might very easily not survive Judeo-Christian civilization. Those who do not believe in God and who stare over that cliff may realize that only three options remain for us. One, the first option is to fall into the furnace. Two, another is to work furiously to nail down an atheist version of the sanctity of life. Three, if that does not work, then there is only one other place to go, which is back to faith, whether we like it or not. Murray is an agnostic himself, but I think he's the point he's making is a really powerful one, that actually the more you dig into some of this stuff, you like, and if we want to still believe really that human beings have a value, those are your kind of three options. The first two are actually very hard to do. So the third one then suddenly becomes a lot more credible. And then if you tie that to other reasons for belief, mm. I think you can, at least certainly for me, that's enough to keep my faith going, even though, as I think you and I have discussed before, I have had plenty of doubts about faith sure. and there's plenty of things I don't know and find hard to tally with it. But anyway, that's probably a topic for another day. But I think it's a great question to pose why do we think the way we do yeah how relevant is christianity really in what we believe mm. even if we're not christian so so have we answered that question that is christianity relevant today i think we've we've given it tried, tried, tried our best Dan. yeah tried we tried our best. our best yeah i think we've probably given people enough to just stop and think that actually most of this society the stuff that we take for granted probably has its roots in a christian heritage and therefore even if it's only on that fundamental level Understanding that is relevant to today, but actually it gets even deeper than that to, to certain values. So we've not opened the Bible much and looked at it in this session, but there's that passage in Galatians. You've quoted Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and, and, and certain passages there. I think actually some of those passages we exactly. talk to are really quite profound because yeah. then you see actually you can really tie back some of those things to the source of Christianity, i.e. Jesus. Yeah, she yeah, that's right. I was going to recommend, you know, the, ser the Sermon on the Mount is, is always a great place to go, isn't it? And if that's something that you've never looked at or never read before, that's Matthew 5, 6 and 7. Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7. So an absolutely fundamental part of the teaching of Jesus. And you'll see so many phrases that actually we use today and that originate in 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 the bible and, and as we've sketched the world that jesus came into as this pre-christian world but with very different values perhaps the nature of that teaching comes into start relief a little bit more and that is the first step along for thinking through the relevance of this to us today so thanks a lot john you referred to quite a few different people as we went through it few people who've been addressing this historical question. Just we want to acknowledge the, the various people who've been looking into this so that people can go and go and look and listen to, to other stuff. Something slightly different but very much relevant, Justin Briley's 
podcast, the surprising, uh, yeah. surprising rebirth of belief in God. I, I hesitate to recommend a rival podcast. Obviously, we're sort of competing very, very much with his. Yeah, our listenership is probably pretty similar, isn't it? I Doug? think it probably is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it is. Poor, but, if, if so, poor old Justin Briley. Yeah, so it's a good listen. And similar with there's another book, The Air We Breathe by Glenn Scrivener. Both of those that take the work of people like Tom Holland and put them into a Christian context. A little bit like we've sort of tried to do as well. But I, you know, I'd like to revisit some more of these these topics perhaps on a future podcast we'll depends depends if you let me back on Dan yeah we'll see what the listeners uh, say see what reviews we get we might get you back on a bit sooner next time thanks a lot and thanks everyone for listening you can let us know what you think let us know what you thought of John's contribution to this podcast you know biblefeed.org is where you can get, you know, find us and you'll find all the links to socials and uh, you can email or whatever from that site as well and we'll see you next time mm-hmm.